probably the single most reason why go-to-market programs don't work is because there is in that collaboration or alignment between sales and marketing. It is like one of the most critical pieces for success is like to be tied to the hip with with your sales leader. And in our world, you know, in the product-led growth world, I'm going to add product teams and customer success. So it's like a four-legged stool. Welcome to this episode of CX Confessions. I'm Stacey Satterwhite, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by one of my favorite people on the planet, one Miss Natanya Anderson. Welcome, Natanya. Thank you so much, Stacey. I'm thrilled to be here. Natanya, as our listeners may or may not know, has been on my team here at Koros the entire two and a half years I have worked here. So I've seen her in a variety of uh, positions here at the, at the company. Let me tell you a little bit more about Natanya. She's a customer-facing communications and technology professional with 20 years of experience. That experience includes digital marketing, content, social media, and community disciplines, as well as professional services, customer success, and overall P&L management. So folks, that's quite a extensive background. And again, I feel very fortunate to be able to work with Natanya. Natanya has helped companies both from the purchasing side and now here at, at Coros on the vendor side. She's helped companies innovate and operationalize the way they engage and support the success of their customers from consumers to Fortune 1000 brands. Natanya's focus areas include strategy innovation, planning, team management, as well as scaling operations and overall running a business to strong performance against defined KPIs. Finally, I just want to say Natanya is a very experienced manager, as you can tell by all the things I just said. And she recently moved into a new role for her here at Koros, and that's the general manager of strategic services, an organization that's also new to my world here in my new role as COO. And I'm thrilled to get to discover that organization with Natanya's leadership, and she's doing a fantastic job. So welcome again, Natanya. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Stacey. So glad to be here. You're a couple few months into this new role here at Koros, your new general manager of strategic services role here at Koros. How's it going? So it's going great. There is a lot. That's what I say to people whenever, whenever they ask me, because the team does so much and getting to know all the different kinds of work that we do, and quite frankly, all the ways that this team functions inside of Poros, which is really different from my previous team, which was much smaller and much more focused. So not only am I learning about the team, but I'm actually having to learn some new skills inside of Poros that I had never really had to flex before. So I, I will say that I sleep really well at night right now because there's just a lot, right? And so I, I wake up every day and I've got some energy and I go to bed. And, and so it's like, so it's, it's really good. And um, I'm reminded that even though I've been doing this for a long time, there's always something new to learn every day. <laughs> so today, our guest is Prachi Gore. Prachi Gore is an accomplished marketing leader with a passion for innovation, strong team building skills, and consistent high performance. Prachi has 15 years of experience in marketing and consulting, driving demand generation, brand adoption, and growth. Prachi also brings a proven track record in delivering high-impact campaigns while driving operational efficiencies and increasing ROI. Prachi has many specialties, some of which we will learn more about today, 
Some of them include global web and social marketing, lead gen and online marketing, SEO, obviously search engine optimization, and many more, including customer insights and team building and management. Well, Natanya, I'm super excited to welcome Prachi Gore to the show today. Prachi, welcome. Happy to have you. Thank you. This is a pleasure. This is a topic that excites me a lot. So I'm excited to talk to you guys today. I'm so excited to have you here as well and learn more about Checker. So what we would love to do is really dive in and understand what's unique about Checker. I'll call out two things if that's okay. But I think the number one thing I will say from just like other businesses is its mission and how uh, the mission is to build a fairer future. And it's like deeply ingrained into everything we do. Like it's in the DNA of the company. Um, So that is just magical. Um, Not just, of course, for marketing and what we do, but also how it's built into the product and how we do our own hiring. So I love that. And it's very unique. And I think from an industry perspective, you know, we are kind of, innovating a very laggard industry, I would say. So it's like tech first, API first, it's all product led. It's very unique. And, you know, the the perspective of Checker is we want to screen candidates in, like just how we think about background checks, I think is unique. Like it's all about tech first. We want to screen people in, not kind of make background checks a roadblock on hiring. So those are like my favorite aspects about Checker. That's awesome. I, you know, I think in a in a space where um, that's constantly evolving, but there's such this human component. Hearing you talk about the integration of tech and people is really interesting. And and one of the things I'm also curious about is you mentioned APIs, right? And and really thinking about how APIs and AI are playing. When you think about what you're seeing in your current role and just more broadly, like what do you think the future of APIs and, and AI are as you've learned? Yeah, I mean, I think API, I'm going to split those two because they are two different, but uh, two different things. But I think APIs in my mind are kind of how the future of uh, businesses tech architecture is going to be, right? Like every, they're, they're going to be like building blocks of like your infrastructure for anything, any processes, any business workflows and processes. So APIs play a critical role because they give you scalability. They give you the, you know, they give you control over the experience you want to drive on the front end. So they're just like that, that is going to be the future of kind of tech architecture, I think. Uh, AI, on the other hand, is different, right? AI is used at various levels in different businesses. At Smart Recruiters, where I was previously, there was a different play on AI. At Checker, we use um, AI primarily for uh, automation and efficiency driving in terms of uh, two aspects. So we do natural language processing because lots of counties have different codes for tagging, you know, the same. So it's kind of like just giving it, making it like consolidating the different codes and like making it super easy to read reports and understand what is happening in a, in, a, in someone's background. So we use uh, machine learning, natural language processing in that way, and then just application to a lot of automation on the process side. Um, so it's not really used for decision making or any of those things, but it's really used for um, standardizing how records are viewed and then um, automation. How cool it is for me to hear a marketer <laughs> talk about APIs and AI. We've, um, we've, we've come a long way. We have uh, our favorite buzzwords. And that's why, you know, I've, I've also. <laughs> yeah, but intelligently talk about them, Prachi. I forgot to give you credit for intelligently talking about them. And not just like as a buzzword, but like really actually understanding. 
Yeah, 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 I know. It's cool. I think that that's the future of technology. So uh, very, very cool. Okay. So you also mentioned uh, one of your former organizations, Smart Recruiters. I think you previously led marketing at uh, Smart Recruiters and Demand at Service Source. What did you learn about customer experience from these roles? And how can you help our listeners understand the customer experience elements of your role? Yeah. Um, so I, I think kind of just over my first interface for the value of customer experience for a business was when I worked for a company called SunPower. Uh, it was it was a consumer as well as SMB and large enterprise. Like we had all sorts of businesses there, but we had a very sophisticated customer experience program that touched everything from the top of funnel, like website to customer experience. And I saw that operate and it was it was just amazing to see what a difference that makes and how different functions think about kind of the customers first. Um, so that was kind of like where I, it opened my eyes to a, to a new way of doing things. And then over time, I think I've carried that with me. And, and what I've learned, honestly, is that creating value for your customers is, is and probably should be the number one priority for any business. Because no, if that is not the case, like no matter what amazing marketing you do and demand gen you do and whatever you do, like that's not long term, like it's not going to, you know, sustain your business. Like, so I think that is the biggest lesson or like biggest learning for me over the years is like, no, no matter what functional area you own within a business, like creating customer value is probably your number one priority. Um, so I just carry that with me. Uh, I think as a marketing leader, you have a lot more. Um, say and you know input into how you want to deliver the marketing experience as a demand gen leader you know it was a little bit different or used to be different but nonetheless you know when i thought about big events and demand gen plays like it was always like using our customers as as the sales people <laughs> i guess for the company uh, but it doesn't happen unless you know your entire company strategy your product everything's delivering you know for that customer value experience Prachi, you had me at value. For those of you uh, not not watching, but listening on the podcast, you can see both Natanya and I break into very large smiles. The moment you said it's really about creating value for your customers. You had me at value, Prachi. Thank you. Good, good. Yes, that is. That is it. That's what we hear from Stacey all the time, right? Is value and outcomes and value and outcomes. And it's not really that I ever doubted it, but um, it's nice that we hear it someplace else, right? Um, and and to, to be fair, like as a, a former uh, customer and purchaser, right? Like it was always for me about so much more than just does the software work. That's a table stake. It's more about like how how is my partner helping me do more in my world and creating that value for me. So, so I am also a big believer, but it's just, we hear that from Stacy. I think multiple times a day. So. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I feel like that is kind of, that is easier understood by businesses on why, you know, why they need to invest in customer experience because it, it, you could tie it back to then business outcomes versus customer experience sometimes could just be like this very um, vague, you know, amazing aspirational cloud concept. Uh, that that becomes hard to execute unless you tie it back to what are we really trying to do here. So, which is why I positioned it that way. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, I think one of the things as as we think about obviously all that you've learned in your different roles is I think it's really interesting that uh, you've worked both uh, in sales and and in marketing, right? And when you think about working in on both sides, where do you find the most appreciation for? 
collaboration and communication between sales and marketing? You know, what are those opportunities that, that are created that you see because you've worked in both spaces? Yeah, I mean, I think I've rolled up into kind of the larger sales org in many places as a, as a demand leader, not really carrying the bag, if you will, um, as a salesperson. I've owned SDR orgs at pretty much, you know, many of the companies that I've worked for. And so I understand the sales role. But I will say, I think probably the single most reason why go-to-market programs don't work is because there isn't that collaboration or alignment between sales and marketing. It is like one of the most critical pieces for success is like to be tied to the hip with with your sales leader. And in our world, you know, in the product-led growth kind of world, I'm going to add product teams and customer success. So it's like a four-legged stool in my mind. It's like (laughs) you have sales and marketing, like 100% for new logo acquisition, all of that. But you need product equally owning the exact same numbers and you need customer success right there with you um, for absolute you know, go-to-market success. So um, in my mind, uh, it's become broader than just sales and marketing with kind of self-serve and product-led growth uh, opportunities. At least at Checkered, we've had that. So. And when you think about the importance of customer experience, that might actually even help define why you need all four legs of that (laughs) stool, right? Because if you only focus on one piece of the customer experience on the continuum, that obviously then, I would imagine, leaves the customer where a spot where like, wait a minute, I had this great experience up until I bought, and then like it all, all, you know, maybe disappeared. So that's not okay. But I, I put words in your mouth there just a little bit. Maybe let me just ask you, why is it more important than ever to create a frictionless customer experience today? And how do you ensure it is holistic from that customer journey standpoint? Yeah. I mean, customer experience um, needs to be uh, consistent from like top, top of funnel, right through, you know, the continued stay of the customer with you, right? So consistency is critical across the journey. But I think more so than ever today, um, which is your question, why is it critical? I think because as the buyer expectations have changed. I mean, just us as consumers, like we are so used to e-commerce and apps, like everything is so easy to buy. That has become customer expectation. So businesses have to deliver on customer expectation. I think that in my mind is like the number one reason. But then some other reasons are like the buying power has changed. And, you know, I've been like maybe even like five, 10, eight years ago, like IT and procurement, like there were teams that had a lot more buying power within a company and that business users just had to take whatever was decided. That's different now. Business users and business users at different levels in the company are making purchasing decisions or buying decisions to just license and start using products. And so I think the buying power is way more distributed at user and functional levels than it was just not that many years ago, honestly. And so that changes expectation and delivery of what you would do to design a frictionless customer experience. But um, I think that's the second thing. And then maybe the last thing I would say is just like access to information, like through review sites and, you know, blog, the blogosphere, like if you didn't do that, it would be a known fact very quickly. <laughs> and so you you cannot, like from a brand reputation standpoint, you just cannot afford that as a business. And so um, I don't know, like those become, I, I, I mean, I think those are kind of the top reasons why, but 
Yeah, I, well, there's so much to follow up there on, but since Natanya is our general manager of strategic <laughs> services and she's all about brand, I'm not even going to try to uh, ask a follow-up question that's that's reasonable or meaningful. That's Natanya's deal. Um, you know, I, I do think it's really interesting, though, and, and I, I was really struck by uh, the distribution of the purchasing power because some days I feel like everybody can buy and then some days I feel like nobody can buy. And it's like, you know, and, and like, if you can't get to the exact right person, um, I watch our, our sales, uh, our sales colleagues trying to figure out who has the power in any particular tra- transaction. And I think that it, that it's so different that it makes it incredibly difficult. And then it also makes it difficult then I think to figure out what the customer experience uh, should be because it's just not homogenous anymore, uh, from, from a buyer user perspective. <laughs> A hundred percent. You're serving so many different personas that all, you know, are important at some step in this journey and it's become harder to design for it. But if you think about it as there are lots of different entryways into how the customer experiences you, and if you keep a consistent experience irrespective, so like not one person gets a highly white glove treatment and the other one is kind of like not getting it. So if you have like, this is our table stake experience expectation on the type of customer experience we want to deliver across the board at every single entry point into your funnel, no matter who they are. And then of course you could take it a notch up for who, like, you know, you could take it multiple notches up for, for uh, the touch points that you want to influence in different ways. Um, I do think you kind of solve for it that way. Otherwise you would, you know, run into, um, I mean, there's only so many custom journeys you could design for. Right. <laughs> Right. And only so much money you can spend. Right. Like I think that the scale, the scale piece of it becomes incrementally interesting and keeping the brand consistent um, as it's experienced by those personas. I'm also really curious when I when I think back to considering customer journeys three, five years ago, much less more than that. I think expectations are just really different now. Right. I, I think we talk about it a lot in the B to C space where we're thinking about serving consumers. But my observation is that um, business buyers have also changed their expectations of the customer journey. Like, what have you seen in your career about how the expectations of, uh, have changed for, for the experience from the, the, the business uh, consumer? I think the biggest change I have seen is that they don't want to be handheld. So it's like, or in other words, like they want the ability to self-serve as long as they possibly can. Um, And I think that is one of the fundamental shifts that I have seen. And so when you think about campaigns and marketing content or even education content and product content, you got to think about it very, very differently from a marketing lens, at least, because they want to be able to self-serve. They want to be able to kind of decide their method of engagement with a business versus forcing everyone down a sales, like a forced sales funnel. So it's, it's just, I think that to me is kind of one of the biggest differences I've seen. Yeah. And I think what it's, you probably know this data off the top of your head, Prachi, but um, the, the amount of decision-making that happens before you ever actually meet your prospect is incredibly high, right? They've gotten X percent of the way. I think like 60% was the last time I checked the fact, but, but you see that everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a lot, right? Obviously it's just, it, 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 it's sort of intimidating to think about how, the 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 power the onus then is on their ability to self serve accurately 
versus leading them through a journey. So that puts a lot of pressure on someone like you, Prachi, to be candid. <laughs> it, it does. And I think the other thing, it, it does, right? It changes the role of, you know, um, of marketing often in, in terms of what, what you do at a business. Um, I also think like the other change in, in the buyer journey or expectation is that they, they just want kind of like straightforward, clear, transparent communication. You know, so many buyers that we interface uh, with today or, you know, have or sell to, um, they don't want to be sold to. <laughs> yeah, They want to be educated. They want to know more. They want to learn. They want to have an exchange. They want to, you know, hear about different ways like innovation, thought leadership. Like they want all of that. They want to consume that. They don't want to be sold to. And so any kind of fluff, any kind of, you know, all of that just becomes like, the wrong way of communicating. And so like, that's the other change I've seen. It's like poetry is, is fun and we should use it, but it's like most of the times they want like simple, clear, ex, you know, communication. And so that's, that's fun. Poetry is fun and we should use it, but maybe not in this context. <laughs> A great quote from Prachi Gore today. <laughs> that's I, I was thinking about that actually, because I was, uh, you have me ruminating a little bit on some of my favorite sales experiences where I feel like I got a lot out of the sales experience itself that made me better at my job before I even purchased or became a partner. But what I will tell you is that creates a preference and quite frankly, a hard, hard bias. And so like, I remember when I bought the Coros platform 11 years ago, uh, the very first sellers that I talked to were from Coros and they set my expectation for how to think about the space and how to think about social media at scale. Everybody else had to live up to that expectation and just about everybody else failed. And that's one of the reasons that I selected them as a partner. And, uh, and now you have me sort of thinking about like, Certainly, I check boxes when I'm trying to buy, but I think it's that value, right, uh, of making me a better partner, even while you're trying to still sell to me, that can make a real difference in today's world. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Comes back to customer value. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like Stacey's going to be like, hello to my all of my team. Please listen to this. <laughs> it's going to be like required listening inside of the customer organization. Oh, I love it. Um, so, so we're not afraid of a little bit of controversy here, uh, here at Chorus. You should hear us in our daily standups on Stacey's team. Um, and so we're really curious, is there like a commonly held belief or industry practice that you just passionately disagree with? You're like, well, all of you are wrong. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think, well, I'll say that marketing exists to make things pretty is wrong. <laughs> uh, I, uh, is that your note, Natalia's doing the raise the roof. She's like, I hear you. <laughs> uh, I would say marketing is a revenue driver and can own a revenue target. And beyond just top of funnel metrics, like leads are a metric of the past. Of course, we track everything, but I want to own the revenue number. Um, and I want to go drive that for the business. And so I, I do think it, it is a change uh, because of the type of marketing we could do today. But it is still often a commonly held belief that marketing exists to make things pretty. And that is just annoying to me. But. <laughs> I think it should be annoying, actually, because there's so much more. In, in, in fact, let me translate that a little bit to the next question about what kind of data about your customers is most important to you, especially as you think about what you just said. Look, Marketing's not here to make things pretty. We're revenue drivers for the business. What's the data you need in order to be successful doing that? 
Yeah. Um, so I, I would definitely say sentiment or NPS maybe is a way to calculate it. I think that's important. It, it kind of, it's not a leading indicator often, but can be towards all sorts of issues that are happening in the business and problems you want to fix. I would say, um, Usage and behavior data, at least, you know, when you have a product that is that is used by lots of different people. It's like usage data because it leads to prediction for churn and so churn prevention campaigns. It can give us opportunities for lots of upsell campaigns. Um, so a lot of like behavior usage data is important. But at the end of the day, like what what data about customers is important is like if they are using your product as you envision for them to and if they are liking liking doing that, right? So the sentiment and the actual usage patterns will tell you a lot about the customer experience, at least on on the product and and with other touch points you have going on. You know, we're we're called CX Confessions for a reason. So it is confession time, as it were. Uh, What's the hardest lesson you've learned on this journey with your customers, right? Like what's, what was unexpected or just really a a tough thing to, to take in? I think this is like a learning over time, but I think it's an, a critical one. And it, it was a hard one probably when it happened many years ago, but like customer relationships cannot be fake. <laughs> They're just like any other relationship you have. And so inauthentic ones just won't work. And so, you know, the customers can see through that. So I would say, you know, bring your authenticity, bring authenticity into everything you do, your marketing, your you know, custom, all customer exchanges and uh, have their best interest at the center of whatever it is that you're doing um, and communicate that clearly and transparently. So um, I, I think maybe like sometimes you just want to find a shortcut <laughs> to deliver something and, and, some, and that probably is not a good, good way to do it. So that I would say is, is, is the hardest lesson is like you, you can't fake it. it. It has to be real. There has to be intention. Really hard to do probably from a top of funnel standpoint to get like, you're not faking it right. And I, and I, exactly. I mean, I think that's what I've learned it, right? Like you, you sometimes you just want to like go fast and like make it seem like you care, but you actually have to put it to work. So cool. Well, we're going to take the last few minutes before we sign off to get to know Prachi just a little bit more. We do this thing we call quick fire confessions. And there are five questions to help us get a glimpse of the real you. I'll start us off. Uh, what was your first concert? Concert? It was Brian Adams. I remember it. Too. And oh, now I probably nice. am giving up my age. But <laughs> nice. we're, we're about the same age. I think that, that that's under the right time frame for um, me too. It was so much fun. I mean, I was like at, the, at an age where any concert could be fun, but I love Brian Adams. And so that was my first concert. <laughs> Following along on that theme, if you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, what would it Ooh. be? Yeah. Well, right now I'm listening to a lot of Ed Sheeran, so maybe one of those songs. Um, but I, I, can, I can't listen to the same. Like, that's a hard one. <laughs> it's it's going to change out seasonally. But for, for a long time now, I, I've been listening to Ed Sheeran. So let's It's kind of okay to say, I would never do that, actually. Yeah, I, would. <laughs> yeah no. I don't think I could that's- ever do that. <laughs> Uh, okay. All right. Next question. Uh, what profession other than your own would you attempt if you could? Mm, I think theater or just like something to do with dance and performance. Um, I used to do it through like my college years. And at one point I thought that's, that was going to be my career. And then of course, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I haven't done it in a very long time, but it's all often something that I wonder if I should have tried. <laughs> so I would say theater or 
dance, some sort of performance. For sure. That's the fork not taken, right? That's the, that's the major exactly. decisions in life that you didn't go know, down. And now, now it's not a path that's available to us. <laughs> it's still a great hobby to kind of dance and do those things, but okay, yeah. so we'll see you. We'll see you in a, uh, an off-Broadway performance. Soon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> My second career. No. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit. Um, What's your favorite app on your phone? Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I couldn't live without it. And it's Amazon and maybe Instacart as a close second. Like I am so everything that comes into our house, you know, for routine utility items come through those two apps. So I'm, I'm, I'm certainly with you on the Instacart thing. Placed an order this morning for emergency well, coffee. I, I mean, we use it a lot. It started as a pandemic you know, habit and it's hard to get rid of. So <laughs> totally get it right there with you. Love it. Uh, okay. And then finally, uh, what's your biggest indulgence, whether it's food, music, obviously you have a thing for the arts. What's your biggest indulgence? I would say dark chocolate, oh, maybe nice. followed by red wine, but mostly dark chocolate. And, and preferably <laughs> together. That's like my I Friday. Together. <laughs> that's like my Friday night cheat night routine. Red wine and dark chocolate. It's I the best. really together, but I would I would go for dark chocolate any day, maybe every day. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Natanya, do you do a, a little a little wine and some dark chocolate or no? I do. Oh yeah. That's one of my one of my favorite things. Although what I will say to you is, as unexpected as this is. If you've ever tried a really great dark chocolate with a really good blue cheese, I know that it sounds totally Ooh. not something you want to do, but it turns out that they um, they complement each other and they make the dark chocolate just a little bit sweeter and the, the blue cheese is a little less sharp and it's a really unexpected experience. So I have a friend who's a, a cheesemonger who who made me try that one. So if you're ever like looking for, and then you throw a little bit of red wine in there and your mind will just be blown. <laughs> So. Okay, that, <laughs> is, that is on the menu for this Friday. <laughs> that is on the menu for this Friday. I totally agree with you. Well, Prachi, really genuinely how lovely it's been to spend this time with you here today. We certainly wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors and how much fun it's been to have, a, to have you on CX Confessions today. Thank you. This is great, Stacey, and go create that customer value. <laughs> we will. You Thank too. you. Thank you for having me. We were mentioning earlier about going out of the season with a bang here on CX Confessions. I think, I think, I think, well, we didn't nail it, but Prachi nailed it. We could probably do a whole other episode on the summarizing of what Prachi just said. Of course, starting with value and outcomes. Yeah, I, it was, it was really funny. I was like, oh, this is like, just like talking to Stacy any day of the week, which, um, which is, which is fantastic because I, I think it just reminds us of these really well-established but so critical foundational ideas, even as the world around us is, is moving forward with innovation, we have to come to these basics of creating value and outcomes. And then I, I think also when we were talking about CX and CX being this really nebulous thing um, that can be uh, markety, the marketers can get a hold of CX and run wild with that. But if we can't tie our CX efforts back to actual outcomes, including things like generating revenue and driving critical business KPIs, it's sort of all for naught. So I really appreciated that she regrounded us in the importance of these of these sort of business foundational ideas. 
Yeah, I, of course. You know, you know, I loved it, and especially uh, the like you said, tying CX back to those value and outcomes. It's actually one of those things that I think it, it sounds easier than it actually is. To your point about we innovate, there's all kinds of exciting new things we do. But we can't forget to just kind of come back to the basics there. From a from a why do customers engage with each other standpoint, especially as an enterprise B two B software company. You know, I, I totally agree. And and you know that the other piece of this conversation that was so interesting to me. I mean, the whole thing was, but this idea of the buyer being so much more distributed now, and how we, especially as we are thinking about enterprise sales, how it used to be and how it is today is really different. And one of the things I appreciated was how she talked about not trying to have a million different journeys, but instead, what is that really core journey? And the other piece too for me along with that is the this this idea that people want to self-serve more than they might used to. So you have to be ready for them to sort of jump into an in-person conversation, particularly how potentially having self-served a whole lot of other information. And so I think it creates new challenges, uh, but also new opportunities for our go-to-market teams in a way that, and, and then also for our teams that are trying to to work with our existing customers to do more with them. Like, I, I just think she articulated that so well. No kidding. And then at the end of the day, I love when you asked her um, questions about like, what are, you know, what are the things that are, in, in, that are important to her and what are the lessons she's learned? And the one really about being authentic at every at every point, right? And even, and you can speak to this because you've been a marketer. At some point, maybe in our lifetime and in our history, marketing was about, to use Prachi's words, making things pretty. It certainly isn't now, right? It isn't about that. It's about establishing from a you know revenue generating standpoint, but from a customer experience standpoint, you've really got to get that integrity and that trust and that authenticity right from the get-go. And that's probably something you have a lot of experience with. You know, when I think about marketing, in in the end, we are fundamentally creating connections through story and communication. And if you think about the stories that resonate most with you, even if it's a work of fiction, which marketing is, of course, not, but there's the root of connection, consumers can tell you if it's not. Uh, they've always had a voice, but now they have a way to share it with you. Customers are able to tell us about how important authenticity is, and they will call us on it when we're not being authentic. And in the past, they would do that. They would sit there and be like, oh, that commercial, that doesn't make any sense. But they could only share it with like the people who are in the room. Now they can tweet that. And now they can tell it tell it to you on social media. So I think authenticity has always been critical. But now the feedback loop and the, the calling out when we're not authentic, the customer voice is so big that you can't afford to not be authentic. And so I, I think for people who have always taken that approach, it means that they're just successful for people who may not have before. It's a, it's a relearning of, of how to show up as a marketer. Yeah, exactly. It's a relearning or maybe there's some exposure that wasn't expected, but, uh, and now there's some behavioral change that's needed. Well, Natanya, oh my gosh, how much fun this has been for me to do this with you, especially as our final episode of CX Confessions this year. Thank you so much for all it is that you do for Coros. And thank you for being my co-host here on CX Confessions today. Thank you so much, Stacey. This was so much fun. I really appreciated the time and, and can't wait to hear the hear and share the final outcome uh, with everybody. Thanks to our listeners as well. Signing off for now for CX Confessions. <laughs>